I took the lead. Where's a good station? Somebody's heart. Glorious. Glorious. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again. Relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hello again, everyone. My name's Bill, and I'm here with Steve. Hello, everybody. Glad to have you back. Listening to us means a lot to us. Sure does. And we are here for another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. Amen. So I know you're looking forward to this one, Steve. Yeah, I b- believe it. it's a foundational revelation that we're going to let the scriptures reveal. It is, and what we're going to do today, what we want with God's help to do today, is we want to talk about the new covenant. Amen. We want to talk about what was necessary for us to participate in the new covenant. To be participants, yes. Amen. Like, what is our, our part? And then, secondly, how did we get into the position that we are participants? So, Steve's got a lot of insight on that today. We should go through it. First, we should review a little bit. We should, yep. Let's see. You know, we started off the podcast with understanding clearly that we were not under the law but under grace with such verses as Romans 6.14 that says sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace just as obvious as it can be verbatim what we said we're not under law but under grace we are verbatim quoting a scripture whether we know it or not which is also the old covenant which is yeah, we are not under the old covenant, but under the new covenant. Correct. That, that's what we want to get you to see is how important it is to distinguish between the old covenant and this new covenant. So we want to learn as much as we can about how the old covenant ended and how the new covenant began and how we became participants in the new covenant. So with that in mind, let me go on to recap some of the things that we've reviewed or done in the past podcast. We went over the idea that there were plenty of warnings in the scriptures, like Galatians 5, 1 and following, about don't let yourselves be again captured by a yoke of slavery, but stay away from the law in even partial observance of the law, like for them it was circumcision, where Paul said, if you get yourselves circumcised, or in the 20th century, if you count on having to be sprinkled as your baptism, you're under obligation to obey the whole law. And it says you've been severed from Christ, you have fallen from grace. A huge warning against 
not putting yourself under the law. And we found out why we, there were such warnings. That was because the power of sin is the law. And that's not a statement from me. That's actually quoting 1 Corinthians 15, 56. Correct. The power of sin is the law that when you put yourself in that Ten Commandment mentality or you rebuild that Ten, per, ten Commandment mentality, you'll just prove yourself to be sinners all over again. And there again, I'm not making Another a statement. Scripture. I'm just quoting Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 18 or 19. Yeah, 18. I think it is 18. I think so. So we looked at the scriptures that gave us warnings about being under the law, and they warned us about using our own human capabilities to live the Christian life, like Galatians 3.3, are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain the goal by human effort? Or, or the admonishment in Romans 8, 4, that all the righteous requirements of living this Christian life will be fully met by us who do not walk according to human effort, but who walk according to the Spirit's power. We've gone over in the last podcast last 10 or so podcast, all these ideas. And we want to show now how these are new covenant ideas in that we've been released from the old covenant. And we will show you the verses that point out how we were released from it. And then we'll show you the verses that picture how we became participants in the new covenant. So that's what we're endeavoring to do today. And so we need a bunch of the spirit. Please pray for us as we have prayed for ourselves that we would clearly and boldly proclaim the scriptures as we should. But with that in mind, let's I think get on with it. Yeah, if I could add one thing. Yes, um, I think of a verse that I always looked over and didn't really seem that important a verse, but it's in Romans 7 and it says, don't you know that the law has authority over a person only as long as they live? It doesn't mean much to you, does it? It's one of those that doesn't register an actual thought. It doesn't register a thought. It didn't for me for 20 years. Now it does, but before it just, it was a, huh? Yeah. What's that have to do with anything? Yeah. But it's it's huge because it does, as you were saying, Steve, it does show us that when we understand that our identification with Christ in his death and burial, and as we're going to talk about his resurrection power, but we see in his death and burial that we were included in that, and therefore having died with him, we went over that in elementary principles. principles. Elementary principles, yes. Yeah. Means the same thing, which the law was made up of elementary principles. Yes. Don't do this, don't do that. You, you see that having Christ, having been included in his death and burial, that we're no longer under, we are released from the law. You're just legally, legally released from the law. You're just nailing it. Because part of what I want to talk about is how we ended the Old Covenant. It is through 
Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection in his corporate identity with each and every one of us. Let me let me just go to the scripture and, and we won't belabor the point because we want to deal more with how the new covenant was inaugurated and how we became participants in the new covenant. But do you remember Paul saying, the love of God controls me because I am convinced that one died for all, therefore all died? Second Corinthians 5.14, I believe. Uh, yeah, 15. I think it's 5.15. That's what you believe. Yeah, amen, <laughs> amen. I was actually thinking of 2 Corinthians 4.15, but one of those verses... I think it is, is 2 it. Corinthians 5.14 and 15. For the love of Christ com- compels yeah. me, controls me, restrains me. A word picture is it's literally got me hemmed in on all sides because he was convinced of something, uh, convinced of this truth that if one died for all, that meant all died. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Living for yourself would be putting yourself under the law and that, that's what Jesus earning meant. your own righteousness. That's what Jesus meant when he, he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And we think it means, you know, if we lift him up with songs and, and praising him, He'll draw all men to himself, but the... The next verse kind of... <laughs> go for it. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was about to die. That's what the next verse says. It tells us what he meant, even though tradition says something else. It says if we praise him, he'll be lifted up and draw all men to himself. He said when he was put on the cross, he would draw all men to himself. Now did... The Roman centurions see him draw all men to himself, or did the disciples who were around Jesus when he was on the cross see all men drawn into Jesus? No, no. This is from God's vantage point. From God's vantage point, all men were drawn into Christ Jesus, and all men paid their sin debt because One man died for all, therefore all died in God's mind. That's the way God sees things. So that means that's the truth. The way God sees things is the truth. And so Jesus, as a corporate representative of the human race, he died for the entire human race. And we're talking about from Adam, who was the firstborn, from his first breath, until the last person on the planet to breathe his last breath, all those people were included and had their sin debt paid. That's why we could have a new covenant because to end the first covenant, it had to end with a sacrificial lamb being sacrificed on behalf of all people so that all people would have their sin debt erased and they would be separated as far as the east is from the west to their sin. And that's why God could say when he prophesied in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, a passage that we should start turning to, he prophesied 
in Ezekiel and Jeremiah that he would remember our sins and lawless deeds no more. He would not remember them. He would always think of us as clean and righteous because of what Jesus did. Because he I think died. that was his last words on the cross. Yeah. It's finished. It is finished, which can also be translated as paid in full. Paid in full. He paid the sin debt in full. That's why your verse in Romans that we died to the law was so apropos. Because through Christ, in God's eyes, everybody died and paid their sin debt. So their sins and lawless deeds are paid for and remembered no more. That's the beginning, the first phase of entering the new covenant. And let's just see where the the covenant was prophesied. Bill, can you read either Hebrews or Ezekiel or Jeremiah? How about I read Jeremiah 31? Okay. Okay, I'll start there. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach again each man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Which, know the Lord actually means experience him. Okay. For they all shall experience me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Okay, and I would like to interject Ezekiel 36, 27, because it's part of this new covenant that is prophesied. Ezekiel says, and I will give them a new heart and put my spirit in them and cause them to walk in my statue, meaning I will put my spirit in them in this new covenant that we're going to make. As you saw, he said, in this new covenant, your sins and lawless deeds I'll remember no more. That was because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf, which allowed us to, by way of him representing us, allowed us to pay our sin debt. So he sees us now as clean and pure and he remembers our sins and lawless deeds no more. That's part of one of this contract he made, this new covenant, which is a contract. And I just wanted to interrupt you without permission. (laughs) So really it's saying that I will write my laws on their heart and I will put my spirit in them is the same thing. It's a parallel thought. It's almost like a Hebrew idiom where they say the same thing twice. Yeah. Two different ways. The second part of this new covenant that Jesus and God made on our behalf 
is that he would put his spirit in us and that spirit will cause us to blossom as Christians, to live the righteous Christian life. That spirit that he's going to put in us will cause us to do that. Because as it says in Hebrews chapter 8, he found fault with the first covenant and he found fault with the people. That was the fault that he found with the first covenant. So he's making this second covenant and it's important for us to understand how the second covenant was made. Namely, he'll not be able to find fault with us. Number one, he will not find fault with us because Jesus paid for it all. Number two, he's going to put his spirit within us and that's what I want to look at today. How he pulled off the second promise of the new covenant. How he pulled that off. What God had to do for the spirit to be placed in us because it gives us a great mental picture of our new covenant that we live under. And we need, we need that mental picture. So with that in mind, we're going to go over as by way of pointing to the scriptures that illustrate what Jesus was doing for us so that the spirit would be placed in us and from the greatest to the least of us we would all experience God from the greatest to the least of us we'd all experience God so with that in mind let's go to John chapter 3 and see some good information some good revelation that Paul is trying to tell a man named Nicodemus a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a teacher of the teacher who has come to Jesus in the middle of the night so that nobody will know he is learning from Jesus. And Jesus says some amazing things, things that have never been considered by any human on planet Earth, new concepts altogether. And I'll let Bill read and make any comments he wants about John chapter 3. So let's go to John chapter 3. This is the incident where Nicodemus shows up in the middle of the night to talk to Jesus and ask him some questions. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 3. And what Steve said can't be overemphasized. This is an amazing conversation. And I'm going to try and read it in a how it would read in the Greek with my limited Greek vocabulary. It is going to be amazing. So in John 3, 3, Jesus responds to Nicodemus's observation that he knows he's a man from God because of the miraculous things he's doing. Jesus responded and said to him, Amen, amen, literally amen, amen. I say to you, unless one should be born from above, he is not able to behold the kingdom of God. You see that double amen, Steve? Oh, yeah. It's crucial. Amen. so much. Yeah. And amen means I'm telling you the absolute truth. These things that Jesus is telling Nicodemus, he has to use a double amen because it's so out there. Not so a good astounding. Word. So astounding that he's saying, I'm telling you the absolute truth. I'm, I'm, 
I'm going to blow your mind. And he doesn't and, do it often. No, he doesn't do it often. I was shown this one time, but it's mainly in the Gospel of John. I think it's exclusively yeah, the Gospel is, of John. Yeah, the double amens. Yeah. And I think there's like 10, 10 or 12 amen, amen. And they all have to do with the same subjects. The new life. Yes. And the new man or yes. the spirit man. The, yes. the spirit man and the spirit light. The second part of the changes to the covenant. Are all double amen, amen. in the Gospel of John. Right. What the, There's an amen, amen on what the, the new man and the new life do. The, the work of the new man and the new life. The food of the new man of the new life. And here we're, we're having a introduction to followed by... Let me go back to John one fifty one. Do that example. You remember he's talking to... Philip, Jesus, who yes. he sees under the fig tree. Yes. And he, he tells him, you are, no, Nathaniel, I'm sorry. Nathaniel, he says, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel, his mind is blown. In that example, he, Jesus uses the word eido, which just means really to see or observe. Jesus said, you thought that was amazing, Nathaniel? From now on, literally in the Greek, from this point forward, you shall see an open heaven. And he, do, he does it with an amen, amen. I'm telling you the absolute tr truth. If you think that blew your mind that I recognized you, from this point forward, you're going to see an, an open heaven. You're going to be able to comprehend things in a spiritual realm that you've never even imagined or knew about, even exist. And the word for see there is not the word I saw you under the fig tree, see, it's, it's the Greek word horeo, which means to discern clearly, to stare at, discern clearly. And by Hebrewism, it's actually to experience, to Amen. appear. Amen. He's saying you're going to be able to experience the unseen realm of the spirit. And then when we get to our second double amen, which it's, is John 3. It's about the same thing. It's about this, the kingdom. Experience in the kingdom. And he says the qualifier that we're, we're talking about, which is today's subject. Yes. He says, unless you are born again, or this translation, born from above, you will not experience, you will not perceive or experience the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of heaven. So this has to take place before the new covenant can be experienced. This is, this is our entrance into the new covenant, so to speak. And, and that's why it's a double amen, because it, it's such a profound thought. Because experiencing the kingdom of God or seeing the kingdom of God, they thought that was in heaven somewhere that they would go. Jesus is blowing Nicodemus's mind by introducing such a concept as that the kingdom of God is yeah. down here where you can't. It could see it or something. They That's why there has to be a double amen, Steve, because he's saying, I know you're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you, but I'm telling you this is the absolute truth, even though you can't figure this out, as Nicodemus's next sentence clearly shows that he has no idea what Jesus is talking yeah. about and trying to figure it out because he's comparing natural things to Jesus' spiritual thought of being born of the Spirit. 
that's why Nicodemus says, what are you talking about? It's the first time he's ever heard of such a concept. It's the first time humanity has ever heard of such a concept. Would it be fair to say Nicodemus is struggling a little bit with this concept? Yes, yes. But he's not being a smart aleck when he says, can a man be entered into his mother's womb again? Is basically what he's asking. He's trying to figure it out in his natural mind. Yes, yes. And it's Hooper bollowing his natural mind. It's overthrowing his human intellect by far. But it is the absolute truth. But it, it is the truth and it's the the second part of this new covenant because Jesus goes on to, to tell Nicodemus I'll let you read it Bill I'll let you read it I'm going to go to verse 4 read all the way to the wind and read the wind okay I'm going to read three, 3, 4, and 5 and then I'll pause a second okay Jesus responded and said to him Amen, Amen I say to you unless one should be born from above He is not able to behold the kingdom of God. And that's that regular C word. Can't even see it. Mm -hmm. Amen. And before he said, you're going to comprehend it. Yes. Way beyond seeing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Experience it. But you can't even see it unless you're born again. Right. Nicodemus says to him, how is it able a man to be born being aged? Is he able into the belly of his mother a second time to enter and be born? Jesus answered with another double amen. Amen, amen. I say to you, unless one should be born of water and the Spirit, he is not able to enter into the kingdom. Ice urkum, into enter. Yes. He's telling Nicodemus, unless... You can't see it, and you can't even enter into it. Yeah, unless you've been born from of water, your your mother's water breaking, and you have that birth, and you've been born of spirit. A big clue as to the, the, the way it works out in the new covenant. The second birth. The second birth. The one being born of the flesh is flesh. That was the water breaking in your mother's womb. Yes. And the one being born of the spirit his spirit, the second. Yes, now that deserves a double amen because he, he's telling Nicodemus just to give it a ment- give you a mental image of what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. He's saying biological parents give birth to biological children. Those are the children who eventually grow up and have their name on the driver's license. That whole realm of parents and children giving birth and life goes on but then he says there's a new phenomenon going to happen and spirit is going to give birth to spirit and then he says something else that's really worth a double amen so let me pick up where I left off actually I'm going to go back to 6 verse 6 John 3 6 That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again, or born of the Spirit. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from 
nor where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Sounds like Nicodemus is still just stunned. Oh, absolutely. He's Jesus needs to answer his question. How can these things be? And throughout the Gospel of John, he does answer the question. And we're going to look at the answer because I'm going to point to the Bible verses that illustrate and give a mental picture of the answer that Nicodemus needed to know. The first one would be John 4.24, where it, it just gives us a clue. But Jesus says, God is spirit. God is spirit. That's one clue because Hebrews 12 actually says God is the father of our spirits. So this God who is spirit is the father of our spirits. Those are two clues to see how we are born again because Nicodemus sure couldn't tell. He said, how can these things be? My mind is blown. You you double amen me. Look at Jesus' answer. Steve. In verse 10, Jesus Mm -hmm. answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Amen, amen. I say to you, we speak that which we know and bear witness of which we have seen. I'm telling you things that I have experienced and I perceive, and you don't understand these things kind of reminds you of the Apostle Paul why there needed to be a new covenant in chapter 8 because he said I don't understand the things Yes, I do. And Jesus is saying we meaning somebody inside of him maybe or a friend that's behind him or something What? What? how could he possibly say we? Strange verse from a guy that's by himself A strange verse from a guy that's by himself But let's go on to John 7, I think it's 738 or so. Maybe pick up in verse 36 or so just to get a running start. Okay. How about I start in 37? Okay. John 7, 37. Now on the last, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out saying, If any man is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. Let him who believes on me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Yeah, why Why do you think Jesus would get up in the middle of a crowd on the greatest day, the greatest day of the feast, and make such a comment? Why? Yeah. Well, let me read verse 39. Okay. But this he spoke of, of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive in the future. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, so he was talking about this Spirit. The Spirit, remember we're on the subject of Spirit giving birth to Spirit. The Spirit had not been given yet. Why? Because Jesus had not been glorified. What does that mean? Could it possibly mean... He has not died, been buried, come to life out of the tomb, resurrected for 50 days, and then ascended into heaven to be glorified by his Father? Could be, could be, and it is. And why do I take the liberty to say it is? It's because 
it's what Jesus tells the disciples in John chapter 14. John chapter 14 is a large section of text, but we will take out just the pertinent verses to illustrate what Jesus is telling the disciples. So Bill, can you read John 14, 12, maybe 16 and 17, and maybe John 14, 20, okay? Then we'll make comments on them later. All right, let me start in verse 12. Truly, truly. There's the truly. Double amen. Because it's a concept that has never been heard before. Truly, truly. Amen, amen. I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. Okay, because he goes to the Father. Now, verse verses 16, 17. Okay. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. And will be in you. Isn't that what the beginning of the second covenant, or the gist of the second covenant is about? I will put my spirit in you. Okay, verse 20. (laughs) And this is... In that day, I believe Pentecost. Yeah, in that day that the Spirit comes to dwell in you, what will they know? Jumping ahead, aren't I? Yeah, no, go for it. Go for in it. that day, you shall know something. You shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. In that day that the Spirit comes to be in you, you will know that I, Jesus Christ, am in you. In the day that the Spirit comes to be in the disciples, Jesus Christ, it'll be none other than Jesus Christ himself coming back down to earth in spiritual form and entering the disciples, and they will know it for what it is. That is amazing, Steve. Yes. Yes. So let's continue on. Let's go to Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4. Because it gives us the succession of what it takes for the second half of the new covenant to be experienced. He's going to put his spirit in us. Yeah. So let's get to Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Give me a second. Okay, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Jesus is talking to his disciples, who he's convinced that he has been resurrected. And now he's giving them some instructions. So picking up in verse 4, he gathers his disciples together, and he commanded the disciples not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the, pro- what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard of me, Heard you, from me. Yeah, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, so Jesus is giving them some orders. He says, stay around here and wait for this promised Holy Spirit that you heard about from me. When did they hear about this promised Holy Spirit? 
It was in that upper room discourse that we were reading in John chapter 14, where he said, I will go to the Father. I will ask the Father to give you a helper, the spirit of truth, who is abiding with you and will be in you. And on the day that it gets in you, you will know that I'm in you. Well, he's telling them to go wait for that phenomenon to happen. That phenomenon to happen. So let's go to Acts 2.1 and look at the phenomenon as it happens. Okay. Acts chapter 2, I'm starting in verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had come, Oh, I'm stopping you right there. That's that day, isn't it? That's that day. Jesus said, in that day you'll know. Well, the day of Pentecost is here. Is that day. And it is the day of Pentecost. That's significant. That's significant for many reasons. It is significant because Paul refers to it as we who receive the Spirit are a type of first fruits. Pentecost was the first fruits. The first fruits were starting. The first fruits were starting. Remember, Jesus said, Abide in me, for apart from me you can bear no fruit. If you abide in me, you'll bear fruit. Well, fruit was actually starting to be born. This was the first time somebody had the ability to bear fruit now. These are the greater things than Jesus did. Yes. That he said. Right. You'll do greater things than these because I go to the Father and I will send the Spirit. Yes. Or the Helper. Yes. You'll bear fruit. You'll bear fruit and you'll cause people to be born again, which is something that Jesus never got to do on his earthly ministry that we get to do. But nor do we ever get to do it under the law. No. We bore fruit for death. Right, we bore fruit for death. Let's go on with what we were getting at. Okay, so here they are. That day had come. Yes. And suddenly, verse 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Okay, isn't that the exact same thing Jesus told Nicodemus about when he was telling him about the phenomenon of being born again? He said, the wind wind blows where it wishes. You do not know where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born again. It's just the fulfillment of what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. The exact fulfillment. Almost word for word. I'm going to go to verse 3. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them. And there, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Isn't that the same thing Jesus said, that you'll be baptized with the Spirit, you'll be baptized with fire and the Holy Spirit? It is. Well, it when it showed fire coming down and sitting upon them and then they were filled with the Spirit is the same thing as being baptized with the Spirit. It was dipped into them. That's what the word baptized means. It's used of dipping a pickle in the pickle juice to make it become a pickle. Well, we 
we were baptized with the Spirit now at this point. And filled also means to be controlled by or to be influenced by. The same exact thought when we talked about in Romans 5, 14, the love of Christ compels me. You could say fills me. Right, right. Controls me. Don't be filled with anger. Be filled, controlled by the Spirit. So these people are all now under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. They are. They are. And what does the Holy Spirit prompt Peter to do? Or you just go on reading. Go on reading. Okay, I'm going to read verse 4 again for context. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Words. Giving them words to say. Influencing them. Influencing them. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because they were each they were each one hearing them speak in his own language. I've got to read that slow because it's so phenomenal. Each person heard what Peter and them were saying in their own language. People from all different countries came and heard him speaking simultaneously in their language. Not not a small miracle to pull off. I'll say they were amazed and marveled, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Yes. And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Amphilia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya, around Cyrene. And on and on it goes. Yeah. Yeah. They were all hearing. In their own language. So Peter comes out on the balcony to address them. And I'm going to pick it up from there because the crowd was thinking they were being influenced by something else. Yeah. So Peter says, he takes a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judah and all who you live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words, for these men are not drunk as you suppose. For it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel, verse 17. And it shall be in the last days, speaking of this old covenant, the last Last days days of of the old covenant. Good point. Good point. God says that I will pour forth of my spirit upon all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even upon my bond slaves both men and women I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy isn't that exactly what the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel said that he would give the whole earth his spirit and From the greatest to the least, they would all experience that spirit. Well, and isn't Peter saying, it's beginning now. The phenomenon is beginning now. The second part of the second covenant is starting. This is how he's putting his spirit in people right now. 
I'm going to give you the gospel. And when you believe the gospel, I'm going to tell you that you can receive this promised Holy Spirit because that's what he does in about 30, 30 verses. Because after he told them about the prophecy of Joel that it was pouring out of the Spirit, he went on to explain the gospel to them for about 30 verses and we'll pick up on what Peter says to the people. So, Bill, start reading in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, because it's going to tell you about the crowd of 3,000 people that was listening to Paul's present the gospel. Okay. You mean Peter? Peter. Peter, I'm sorry. Thanks for correcting. Uh, 36... Before I get to 37, Peter finishes by saying, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, What shall we do? Verse 38, And Peter said to them, Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, meaning your children's 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 children, as many as our Lord God shall call to himself. I'm in verse 40. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You just read about the first 3,000 people to be born again. Because the spirit inside of Peter impregnated all those people with the spirit of God and 3,000 people were born again, thus fulfilling what the prophet said about he will put his spirit in you. He was now putting his spirit in people. He was filling the earth with his spirit and Spirit began to give birth to spirit. People were born from above. Spirit began to give birth to spirit in the first century and has been giving birth to spirit from century to century to century, from generation to generation to generation, until one day you heard the gospel and received it, and spirit gave birth to spirit in you and you became born again and you supposedly in that day knew that Christ was in you again but we're going to break it down a little further I just want you to know what a huge phenomenon happened that day under that balcony because this was a paradigm shift to humanity as we know it. This changed the entire world and how the entire world operates. Not a small thing by it. Probably the biggest thing that has happened to planet Earth to date. Amen, amen, amen is the only appropriate thing that can come out of my mouth at this point, Steve. 
it's blowing my mind, even though we already talked about what we were going to cover. It is an amazing game changer. It, it is. It changed the game from the old covenant, which was human driven, meaning the in the old covenant, God gave us a list of do's and don'ts, and we with all our human willpower and determination tried to keep that list of commandments but couldn't do it. Now we've got a new covenant and I don't think people understand that we are under a new covenant. They still want to be under that old covenant or mix the two because it's not clear that they're under this new covenant where God has put his spirit in us and the spirit in us gives birth to a spirit inside the another person. That's why I'm going to interrupt you, Steve, because I bet you anything we're thinking of the same verse. Mm. Mm. Were you thinking of 1 Corinthians 4.15? It's it's a classic verse from... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I sometimes forget where it is, but it always sticks in my mind where he says, you have many guardians yeah many tutors yeah many tutors but he says i became your father because i fathered you through the gospel amen amen then now now it that's also meaning. Uh, that statement has meaning now because that's what peter did he fathered three thousand people in one shot through the gospel because he even says in Christ I fathered you through the gospel not in his own he did it the same thing in Acts 10 and 11 when he goes to meet Cornelius it it literally says Peter spoke words and when he spoke words it says they all were baptized in the spirit Amen. they were all born again yeah it's the same thing in Galatians 4.19, where he, he talks about, he's talking to the Galatians who are wanting to go back to the Old Covenant, and he says, I'm in the pains of childbirth, because I'm laboring over you guys, because I want Christ to be formed in you. I'm in the pains of what? I'm in the pains of childbirth till Christ is formed in you, he says. It's so amazing that it's, Sometimes I struggle with words when I get amazed, yeah, like, I'm, it, like I'm doing right now. But, but it's all saying the this same phenomenon. thing. phenomenon, it, yes. It's predicated on knowing what born again means. Let me just say First John 3, 9. It says, the child of God, not the child of Adam or the child of biological parents, but the child of God cannot sin because his sperma remains in him. His sperm, that's the Greek word that we get the English word sperm from. It says his sperm remains in him, the child of God, the Christ who's being formed in you. Not you and your own human determination, but Christ in you, the hope of glory, is born of the sperm of God when spirit gives birth to spirit, like Jesus told Nicodemus. You don't need to get so bogged down in in the wording uh, of sperm, but you, you need to get the mental picture that the spirit gave 
birth with its own sperm to make its own entity within you, and that is how born of God Ezekiel was fulfilled. The the new covenant promise was fulfilled because he puts his spirit in each other through the spiritual sperm of God entering in a person, impregnating a person when another person presents the gospel. That's what it means to be born again. It's the spirit that gives life. Flesh counts for nothing, but it is the spirit that gives life. And Paul saying the same thing and that we just read in Galatians about I'm in the pains of childbirth for Christ to be formed in you. And, and what he said to the Corinthians that I fathered you through the gospel. Through this message, you heard it, you believed it, supernaturally empowered to do both, and you were born again, and you were fathered. And that is what John was saying in 1 John 3, 9, that you just alluded to, Steve, that the one born of God, the one that heard the gospel and was empowered to believe it is born of God. And it said the one born of God is not capable of sinning, not capable of even missing the mark on what? One occasion. On one occasion. That's another Bible study in itself maybe we can take up, but it literally says it's not even able to commit a single sin. So now I hope you've got a good picture of the mechanism that was used for the Jeremiah and Ezekiel prophecy to be fulfilled when he said, I'll put my spirit in you. Being born again is the mechanism that God used for each and every one of us to receive that spirit. That's how he placed that spirit in us. And it's that spirit that causes us to walk in his statue because that's what the covenant said. I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statues. That's exactly what it says. Yes, yes. That's why in Acts, there's a, a passage where it says, in this Jesus was the servant of us all, and he blessed us by turning each one of us from our wicked ways. That's what Christ in you, the hope of glory, does. On a day-to-day basis, he turns you from your wicked ways. Even though you're trying to do the best that you can, the best that you humanly can, and you're falling short, so short, so short, he comes in and saves the day. He turns you from your wicked ways. He does for you what you can't do for yourself. I'm giving them a new spirit that will cause them to walk in my statues. That spirit will cause you to live the exemplary Christian life. It'll cause you to live the righteous life. It's all predicated on understanding this new covenant that we are under, a covenant that is led by the Spirit's power. He finally made a new covenant which gave us the power to please the people around us and not let them down. We've actually got a chance of shining now. We can actually cause people to want to be around us because the Spirit is shining through us and it's giving out words of kindness and words of gentleness and 
words of faith and joy and all the things that we can't produce from ourselves for ourselves this spirit that we've received is doing for us so hopefully this gives you some idea of what it means to live in this new covenant that we're under hopefully it gives you a word picture if you don't mind me interrupting yeah steve which i already did without your permission but the spirit you're saying not only gives us access into the new covenant it's the means by which we participate in the new covenant amen and the old covenant was actually literally according to the apostle paul the the old the law he said was spiritual but it was given to flesh to keep it so because of the incompatibility of the flesh to, to do something spiritual it was destined to fail and there actually was a purpose for it to fail through the law comes the knowledge of sin yes how bad we miss the mark how bad we fail which makes you all the more eager to participate in the new covenant with the spirit that's provided for you participate in the new covenant and keep the new covenant. so i hope that by god's grace you, you formed a mental picture of how the new covenant was inaugurated in the mechanism by which God places his spirit in each and every one of us through the phenomenon of being born again, which is done through speaking the gospel to somebody and they get impregnated with the spirit of God and that spirit begins to live the Christian life for the person. We bring the spirit of God with us to a new town and impregnate people in that town with the spirit of God and then the town begins to blossom and become a town filled with the spirit of God and on and on it goes and the kingdom of God just expands and expands and expands which means love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control expands and expands till someday it's going to control the whole world but I, I hope this gives you an idea of how to live the Christian life and what it means to be under grace because Like Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and this grace did not prove to be in vain for me, for I labored harder than all the rest, but it wasn't me laboring. It was the grace of God in me laboring. It was the Christ of God in me laboring. That is the essence of the new covenant that we live by, and we depend on the Spirit of God, and we are addicted to the experience of the Spirit of God and it takes us down a whole nother path than this 21st century commercial Christianity does so with that in mind I just want to pray that we would take root in what the Bible has showed us because we just pointed the scriptures and the scriptures made these pictures for us I just want us to take root in those teachings that the Bible did so that we can become mature Christians and walk a Christian life. I'm just going to say that's not goofy like so many of us are doing 
as we try and live the Christian life in, in our own human capacity. Father, I just pray that you change us through this gospel message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.